Hey there, CV. Hey, before we get into the second part of our Easter series today, we just have a special announcement that we'd love you to see, so check this out. Hi there, Central Vineyard. It has been 33 Sundays since we last gathered together on a Sunday. Oh, how we have missed you all. It's been a long several months of waiting out the storm of pandemic and working within public health measures. But finally, after such a long time, the time to regather is in sight. Now, as you probably know, our government recently announced changes to increase the gathering limits and the ending of vaccine passports. Even though we are still in the current red light traffic setting, the increased limits now mean that we've been able to plan for gathering again as the wave of Omicron comes down in our city and we learn to live with it. So, we want to issue a wonderful invitation today. Uh, with Easter only a few weeks away, and seeing as it is the highlight of the Christian calendar of the year, we would love to invite you to regather with us on Resurrection Sunday, April 17th, 10 a.m. at Epsom Girls Grammar. As the global church celebrates Jesus's resurrection, we'll also be celebrating our own resurrection of sorts, the, the one of getting to be together again. This gathering will begin a se season for us of being regrouped as a church in one location. For several weeks, we're going to only have just the one location running at Epsom. So 4pm and New Lynn crew, we'd love to see you at Epsom for this re-entry together. This is so we can all get eyes on one another, connect, regroup and re-envision. As we regather, registration is going to be important so we know the number of who is coming. And while there are a few long weekends ahead and you might be heading away, it will help us to know if we need to hold one gathering or two back to back. We'll have all the information for our refreshed gathering at Eggs out in coming weeks. But for now, can you head to our website, centralvineyard.org, and book your spot for Easter and the week after? It'll help us so much with our planning. We have missed you, and we absolutely cannot wait to see you and experience God's work among us again. As we continue our series, God in the Chaos, Today's reading is Mark 10, 32 to 45. Now in this series, we're on the lookout for the character of Christ in the Easter story as more than just some man dying on a cross, but as God's true character being on display. Uh, last week, we looked at how he was the victorious lamb. This week, we're looking at how he was the suffering servant. You know, amongst the chaos of then and now, these glimpses of God's character are still true. So here's the text, the word of God for us today. A reading from Mark. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. So taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, 
We want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right, the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. For God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, the Gospels are full of conversations. Normal, everyday, earthy dialogue between Jesus, but that is God, and his friends, with his enemies, and with everyone in between. You know, whether it's a woman at the well, or whether it's a tax collector, or a religious lawyer, in the gospel accounts, we, we actually see Jesus having lots and lots of conversations. Conversation is to talk about something. It's to inquire of each other. It's to explore something. You know, there's shallow conversations about comparing notes on the weather. And there's deeper conversation about points of perspective on geopolitics or exploring emotions after an event. It's to hear a point of view and it's to give yours. It's to share your heart vulnerably and to allow another to hear you. It's to joke and to laugh at funny experiences together. And in conversation, we often reveal our beliefs and our desires. Because as the Bible says, and as Jesus taught, it's out of the desires of our heart that our mouth speaks. External processes. You with me? Well, anyway, here in our text today, we have a conversation which started with Jesus again telling his close followers of the future events of where he is heading. Where two of his disciples come in and add their perspective. And by the end of it, like some group gathering around a hot topic, the other disciples have been called in to listen and to discover. So let's unpack the text a bit today. And let's see what there is to discover in this conversation. Um, just allow me today to flick into teaching mode a bit here. It's going to go a little bit old school, do some teaching. Now, firstly, it's worth saying that we are in Mark's gospel today, and his gospel account is a fast-moving book. It's, it's kind of like watching Jesus's life in fast forward. And in that pace, let's not miss the main message. Mark is wanting to tell us the story of Jesus's message of the kingdom of God and how Jesus being crucified matters in enacting that. Mark is giving us the message and the medium of Jesus' ministry. The first of the book is leading upwards, 
And then it, it sort of gets to this transfiguration moment. And then the rest of the book comes downwards, the story of Jesus towards the cross and as he walks there. And along the way, Mark gives several pictures for us to hold in our minds so that when we get to that crucifixion scene, we know what it means for Jesus, for Israel, for the world, and for ourselves. So, so it's all a device to make us be able to say, this is what the kingdom of God is like amongst our world's kingdoms. So in reading Mark's gospel, we should be able to become firmly aware of Jesus, his kingdom message, and the way it is at work. And then we should be able to compare it to the chaos around us and consider where things are not right, where things are not as they should be. Mark's gospel helps us to navigate well the world in this time, not blindly, but knowing who Jesus was and hearing the announcement of the kingdom of God for us today. So on to looking at this conversation, this, this sketch today that Mark is laying out. Well, the first part of the picture are those opening verses telling us that while they're walking to Jerusalem, Jesus solemnly warns the disciples about what's going to happen to him there. Now, this isn't some surprise to him. It's part of the vocation which has gripped him since the voice at his baptism spoke, a voice that echoed Isaiah's prophecy and to which our reading today pointed to explicitly. Now, if you don't know it well, in Isaiah verses, uh, chapters 40 to 55, we read of this main character in God's restoration plan, that of an anointed messianic figure who suffers and dies for the sins of Israel and for the world. This is Yahweh's servant. And at the end of the passage that Jesus referred back to in Isaiah 53, it speaks in awe and gratitude of that servant's redeeming death. You know, all to say, as the one called to fulfill this picture from Isaiah, Jesus knows what he is in for. He is the suffering servant. And he is the one who will be handed over, whipped, mocked, beaten, killed, just as Isaiah's words said. And that's where the conversation starts to get really interesting. Because while Jesus is determined to get to Jerusalem for that purpose, his disciples they can't get their heads around it in the same way. And it brings me to this dissonance that's in the conversation, like, like two frequencies that are not at harmony. Uh, you know those moments when you're talking with someone and you thought you were both talking about the same idea on the same level, but it actually turns out you aren't? That's what's happening here in the conversation today. Because Jesus might be going to Jerusalem as the suffering servant, but the disciples they think he's going as a military man. And these two things are not compatible. Hence the problem in this discussion. They're seeing things from another angle entirely. Um, a commentator on this moment says this. James and John want to turn Jesus's messianic journey to Jerusalem into a march to glory. A glory in which they will sit on either side of him when he reigns as king. Yes, they've heard all this talk about suffering and death and rising again, but to them, it's just metaphor and pictures, perhaps meaning something more like, it's going to be really tough, but we're going to come out on top. 
Our man will be the one on the throne. Israel will be its own again. But here is where we need to see what Mark is recording amongst this discussion. The cross is God's way of standing worldly power and authority on its head. The kingdom of God turns the world's ideas of power and glory upside down and inside out. Now, James and John are right about something. What is ahead is political. There is a king involved, there's power involved, there's a throne involved. But as the commentator said, the way of seeing all of these things is going to be inverted. The king will be humble. The power will be service. The throne will be a cross. A cross which isn't just about God forgiving our sins, though of course that is central to it, but about being God's way of putting the world and ourselves to rights. And it challenges and it subverts all the human systems which claim to do this too. But in fact, only succeed in bringing a different set of humans out on top. You know, this upside down work of the cross, it's almost unfathomable as we are so used to a political system that is marked by its success in progressing towards a vision of utopia, trying to get to what it thinks the world at right is. But the problem is, every power system is only ever able to get to this utopia under its own strength and by its own understanding of what is right and what is moral. You know, Mark Sayers, he critiques this very well with this simple little summary. We want to implement the best of the kingdom, but without the king. You know, as disciples who have been journeying along with Jesus for a couple of years now, James and John have seen glimpses of the vision of the kingdom that Jesus has been showing them. But they have been perceiving it with their disposition of power being enacted through domination with armies and with swords. And Jesus is not going to act in that way that they are anticipating. The reason they misunderstand him is exactly the same as the reason why many subsequent thinkers down to our own day today are desperate to, to find a way of having the best of Jesus, but without having the cross. Because the cross, it calls into question all human pride, glory, power, and honor. The humility of the cross doesn't seem like it could ever be something successful amongst the kingdoms of our world. But make no mistake, all the success of the kingdom of God starts there. You know, the final key part of the conversation in Jesus' comments about those who will sit at his right, sit at his left, those who will drink from the cup, and those who will receive his baptism of suffering. And James and John, they think they can do the same. It's, it's, it's hilarious as you read that. Oh, yeah, we can do that too. <laughs> they don't know what they're asking. But as Mark's readers, in a few chapters of waiting, we will discover who sits at his side and who shares in his sufferings. Because when Jesus sits in his glory with one on his right and another on his left, it will be on the hill of Golgotha on his cross. And those on his sides will be two thieves who he offers his mercy. And as we consider those two thieves on their crosses next to him, and we hold the sentiment of James and John's question to be the one next to him, we must remember again that one of the calls of discipleship 
is not just to mentally agree with Jesus or to cheer him on from afar, but it's much more costly than that. It's to follow him, not just in life, but to that place of death too. To summarize, Jesus is Isaiah's prophesied suffering servant going up to Jerusalem, turning the world's values and power systems on their heads, setting off to give his life as a ransom for many. And if we want to receive what he has to offer, we have no choice but to follow. We too must adopt this servant life. We too, we, we do not follow a military man. We follow the suffering servant. And this Easter, as the world is full of the noise of war and politics, as we hear grand speeches and the promises of what bills will do and the reports of sanctions and the explosions of weaponry, we we mustn't fall into the trap of James and John who thought that these were the methods that God's way of setting things right would be done. Because let me be clear, it's not his way. Remember, Mark is trying to show us in his gospel how Jesus's kingdom is different to the world's kingdoms. And that's why verses 42 and 43 are so important in this story today. They encapsulate the sentiment of his entire gospel. You know, let let me remind you of what Jesus said here. You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Again, among you, it will be different. Jesus goes on, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. As followers of Christ, we too are to adopt this posture of sacrificial service in the world. His way is not the way of the soldier, it's the way of the servant. And as those who follow his way, it is to be ours too. You know, we must leave, we must, sorry, we must, we must have our assumptions about what power is corrected by Jesus. The kingdom of God is not one of power lorded over, but of subversion within and under. We must allow Christ to show us what it is truly to be called servants to the world and for him to take us towards his vision of what is right by no other way than following him to that place of death, picking up our own cross, laying down our lives for the sake of putting things right in the world with him. You know, if we do this, it will be different. You know, how did God enter into the chaos of power that was misused and abused? Well, today it tells us he did it as Isaiah's suffering servant. And how will God enter into the chaos and the power that's misused and abused today? Well, he'll do it through his church of servants seeking to serve in the midst of the suffering. Central Vineyard, let's commit to becoming those people and that kind of church. This week, look for a person or a place to serve. Look for an opportunity to enact this servant-hearted agenda of Jesus into your world. Give away rather than holding and hoarding. Pick up the servant's towel 
rather than the soldier's sword. Don't retaliate. Instead, be merciful. Don't get dominant and on top, but instead, be submissive and low. Set your intention to become a person who the world could truly say, among them, something is different. You know, in this Easter story, we see God enact that different in a way. He came not to be served, but to serve. He gave his life as a ransom for many. That's the way of the king and his kingdom. That's the way of service. That's the way of giving. Ultimately, that is the way of love. May that loving way be your way too. So in closing, you know, after having heard the reading and now unpacking it, let's revisit it one last time and allow ourselves to just sit in it a little bit more informed. I want to finish today by rereading our text. I invite you to treat this as a moment of Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina means holy listening. And letting the conversation between Jesus and his disciples not just be some distant conversation, but be one that you place yourself in amongst today. You know, I said earlier that this text records a conversation that is a dialogue between Jesus and his followers. Well, you can let this gospel reading talk to you today too. So let's do that. Uh, you might to close your eyes and just imagine yourself in the story as the 13th disciple, walking along, watching, listening in. And as you do that, what do the words of Jesus say to you today, I wonder? What's the different way for you to notice? So one more time. Here is Mark 10, 32 to 45. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, they will spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Then James and John the sons of Zebedee. They came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. And they replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right, the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. And then Jesus told them, well, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. Only God has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. And when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority 
over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, as we look in this scene and as we hear your words, as we bend our knee and as we say, you are the one we humble ourselves to listen to, teach us, oh God. We pray today that those words of something different would capture our hearts and a vision of service and sacrifice that would bring rights to the world, would fill our imaginations. Lord, enable each of us to enact the work of service that you call us to into our world. Thank you that you have led the way as the suffering servant. And we as your church choose to go that way too, as servants, leaning in, to serve our world to life.